From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration from movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. How do you make ideas spread? What makes things go viral? How do you get your business, your product, your service, your message, or your idea to become contagious? That is the fascinating dynamic that we are going to handle directly on the show today. And not only that, um, so I have the author of the book, Contagious, brilliant book, really, really one of my favorite books that I've read recently that was just new and fresh and useful. Um, and I think you'll enjoy listening to me and Jonah uh, Berger is his name, Jonah Berger, banter back and forth um, a little bit. But then also at the end of the show, I'm going to introduce to you something that we have been learning a lot about at Southwestern Consulting for the last five, six years in the world of online selling and online uh, sort of marketing and on what we call an automated revenue machine. And I want to introduce to you the concepts of, of this because I think it dovetails really nicely with the whole topic of making ideas spread because if you can make your business spreadable, then what's going to happen inevitably is that's going to lead to online traffic. And then how do you convert that into leads for your salespeople or revenue for your business? So how do you make ideas spread and how do you monetize those ideas? It's going to be a great show. We're going to get started just after this. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Hey, it is my honor to introduce you to the author of a book that I think is perhaps one of the most, if not the most important marketing book that I have ever read. Um, The book is called Contagious. And uh, it's written by Jonah Berger. The book was a New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. And Jonah is a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And he is an expert on word of mouth, uh, viral marketing, social influence, and you know, basically what he calls social transmission. Uh, he also has a new book, which I haven't read yet, called Invisible Influence that just came out. And so uh, I, it's just an incredible book. It blew me away. Jonah and I shared the stage at an event together earlier this year in Mexico and uh, just started following the guy a bit and I uh, really like him a lot. So, Jonah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So can you explain what social transmission is uh, just for everybody? Give us the backdrop. Sure. It, it sounds more complicated than it needs to, but uh, it's any time in which one person's behavior uh, affects another. So that can be through word of mouth, uh, you know, hearing from a peer or a colleague about a movie, a product, or a service. Or it can also be merely seeing someone else doing something. So 
the mere fact that our neighbors buy a new car, for example, makes us more likely to buy a new one. So if any case of influence between one person and another, a behavior, a product, or an idea being transmitted across people, almost like a virus might. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know uh, your story, some of your personal stories, that you read uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell several years ago, and that seemed to kind of spur your journey. And it's so funny because what you did is actually what I wanted somebody to do. I remember reading Tipping Point and going, this is fantastic. This is amazing. This is brilliant. But how do you do it? How do you get ideas to spread? And uh, in Contagious, you've got a very research-based approach, and you boil it down to basically uh, this this acronym uh, of uh, these six things that are more practical in terms of how you can shape your messages, your marketing, et cetera. So can you just give us like a high-level overview of the six, and then maybe we'll talk about each one a little bit? Sure. And, um, uh, you know, it's hard to go into all of them in detail, but happy to talk about two or three in depth to give people a sense. I think, you know, like many people, I read The Tipping Point, thought it was a great book, lots of great stories. But, but the question is, well, we know word of mouth is valuable, right? People trust word of mouth more, and it's more targeted. How can we get how can we get people to share our ideas? So looking across uh, these different situations, we see it's not random, it's not luck, and it's not chance. There's really a science uh, behind why people share things. In fact, as you nicely said, sort of six key factors uh, in Contagious, what I call the steps, that drive all sorts of products and ideas to catch on. And- right. So, uh, so social currency triggers emotions, uh, publicly valuable uh, or public, public, practic- practically valuable, uh, practical value, and then stories. Uh, so the one I, I wanted to dive into social currency because that was the one I think that was most fascinating and it most uh, aligned I think with that natural like uh, the mystere around you know word of mouth transmission. So can you talk a little bit about social currency and what what that means exactly and then kind of how how we can use it to our advantage? Sure. So very simply, social currency is the idea that we're more likely to share something the better it makes us look. Um, so, you know, if somebody makes a book smart, special, and in the know, we're more likely to share it. And if it doesn't make us uh, look so good, uh, if you notice online, for example, people love uh, talking about, oh, I met a celebrity or look at me on vacation. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about, hey, look at me, I'm at the office working on Excel spreadsheet. We <laughs> could share that. But, but right, we don't, right? Even though we're doing it much more than the time than we're on vacation, we're sharing stuff because it makes us look good. Uh, you know, if we go to a restaurant, it makes us look like a foodie. Uh, if we talk about stuff in the financial market, it makes us look smart and knowledge about the market. What we share, just like the car we drive or the clothes we wear, the things we talk about and the things we share affect how other people see us. And so as business owners, as people that want to get the word out, one way to get people to talk about our stuff is not just by making ourselves look good, right? We often ask questions like, how much do people like us? Do they like our brand? But how will it make other people look when they talk about us? Will it make them look good or will it make them look bad? Will it make them look special or will it make them look like everyone else? And the more talking about our stuff makes them look good, the more likely people are to talk about it and share it's such a simple idea, but it's so, I mean, that is so powerful. And you use several different examples in addition to the case studies and the research. And you talk through, uh, I remember this, the, this bar, this sort of speakeasy bar in New York where there's like a secret passageway. And uh, it, it, it's, but it's, it's something that, at least for me, I can say I, I overlook that part of it. I don't often think to myself, how is my product 
or my offering going to make somebody else look? And so that's a, that's a completely different way of thinking. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I love that story. It's, uh, it's about a bar hidden inside a hot dog restaurant. And what's so neat about it, besides the fact that it's a great story, is we all know what we would do if we heard a secret. And if someone tells us a really juicy secret and they tell us not to tell anybody else, what's the first thing we do? We've got to tell someone. If we know it's going to make us look really good to know about a bar hidden inside a hot dog restaurant or a cool piece of information, we know it's going to say something good about us. I think... You know, as marketers, we have a real tendency or for you know, anyone running a business, anyone having a service or an offering, we tend to focus on ourselves, right? We tend to focus on what we offer. We really need to think about the customer or the end user and, well, how is it going to make them look if they talk about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the other examples that you use is this $100 uh, Philly cheesesteak in uh in Philadelphia. And you talk you use that example kind of throughout the book for some different things, but um specifically triggers. So triggers are the second, so the acronym again is steps, S T E P P S. Uh and social currency is the first one. Um, talk to me about triggers. What, what does that What does that mean? What is it? What is a trigger, and how does that kind of relate to you know ideas that are contagious? Sure. Uh, so to talk about triggers, I'll use an example that many of your listeners may be familiar with. Geico's recent ad for Hump Day, and so you may be familiar. You know, Wednesday at least United States called Hump Day. Monday at the beginning of the week, Friday at the end. So Geico builds a piece of content based on the camel walking in an office, going, "What day is it today? What day is it? What day is it?" Finally, comes across this woman, and she goes, it's hump day. And the camel goes, ooh, ooh, uh, and the ad goes, how happy are people who save money uh, with Geico happier than a camel on hump day? Okay. <laughs> so, so it's sort of funny. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't do a great job Italian. It's kind of funny That's when good. you see it on TV. I haven't seen it. That funny. I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you haven't. Oh, yeah, it's, kind of, it's chuckle-worthy at least, right? Um, but it's not only chuckle-worthy. In fact, this is the second most shared piece of content ad from a couple of years ago. Second most. Not a beer ad, not a car ad, but an ad about insurance. Um, and they didn't spend more money sharing that one than they did other ones. So why did it do so well, particularly given it's a category that we think, well, why would anybody talk about? Well, if you look at the data, you see something interesting. There's a spike in shares, and then it goes down. And another spike, and then it goes down, and then another spike, and then it goes down. If you look closer, though, you notice the spikes aren't random. They're every seven days. And if you look even close, you'll notice that they're every Wednesday. Wow. Well, colloquially known hump day. Right? This content is equally good or bad, funny or not funny, every day of the week. But Wednesday rolls around, it provides already a reminder, what psychologists might call the trigger, to make people think about it and talk about it and share it. Because if something's top of mind, it's much more likely to be tip of tongue. But too often, again, we think about, well, people have to like me to talk about me. If they don't like me, they're not going to talk about me. But think about how much we talk about the weather, for example, or what we're doing this weekend. But it's not because it's the most interesting thing, right? It's just that we're thinking about those things. The more we think about something, the more likely we are to talk about it. So how can we harness this idea? Great that that's true, but how can we harness it? And the key in thinking about that is uh, thinking about peanut butter and jelly, right? So if I said peanut butter and, one of the first words that would come to mind would be jelly. Or if I said rum and, you might think of Coke. And really, if you look closer, peanut butter is almost like a little advertisement or a little, you know, it almost deserves a referral fee for uh, for jelly, because if peanut butter's around, jelly doesn't have to remind you to exist. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter does all that work, jelly, right? Uh, Michelob came up with so that weekends are made Michelob. They wanted people to think about the beer when the weekend rolls around. And so same thing for us, right? If we're trying to get people to talk about our stuff, not just, well, do they like us, uh, do they like our offering? 
But what will we remind them of us? How can we find our own peanut butter or something in the environment to link ourselves to? Right? If they see that thing, then they'll think about us, and then they'll be more likely to talk and share, not just advertise. Well, how can we link ourselves to something that's not an ad? So when they see it, we come to mind and we get talked about more. Yeah, I mean, that is that is so powerful. And the, the, I mean, the idea of connecting your advertisement to hump day, knowing that people are going to talk about hump day and now you own that slot. And it's the part that was fascinating to me is the stuff about data and, and how it, how it comes up and the power of triggers. I remember, um, there's this part in the book, you asked this question, you said, what do you think is more contagious or a virally spread? Like inherently, what do you think is more, um, word of mouth worthy Disneyland or Cheerios? And I was thinking, oh, well, obviously Disneyland. I mean, Disneyland is cool. Disneyland is like this once-in-a-lifetime experience. But then uh, you actually said the data doesn't prove that at all. It's the complete opposite. So can you walk us through why, why are Cheerios more word-of-mouth worthy than Disneyland? Yeah. So uh, and I think everybody would have the same intuition. And before I saw the data, I had the exact same intuition. I mean, you know, nobody wants to be in the office when someone comes back from Disneyland or Disney World because the first thing someone does is they spend the first two or three hours talking about Disneyland and Disney World and sharing pictures of the kids, talking about how great it was. I think they get talked about a lot more. In Cheerios, it's not that fun. It's not that engaging. It's not that emotional. Why would people talk about it? Well, it turns out, right, that people like Disney a lot, but they don't think about it very often, right? Think about Cheerios. Cheerios is super boring, but people go to the grocery store at least every couple weeks. Even if they don't eat Cheerios, they see right. the brand on the aisle, and they're more likely to think about it. They're cues in the environment that remind them of it. For Disney World, it's a great experience. And if you remind people of Disney World, they're happy to talk about it. But people don't go very often. They only go once every few years if, if they're great parents, for example. Uh, and even when they go, they talk about it when they get back. But they don't talk about it two or three weeks later because there's nothing to remind them of that experience. So there's no trigger or cue in the environment to make people think about it. Where Cheers is boring, but every day you eat breakfast. And if you eat the brand more often, it's top of mind. And so you're more likely to talk about it. So one is usage, obviously. You know, if you're a brand or an offering that's used a lot, uh, you know, a breakfast cereal, for example, compared to insurance, you're much more likely to come to mind. But then second, outside of the usage situation, let's think about how we can link ourselves with stuff in the environment. Budweiser a few years ago had that great with stuff campaign, right, that did extremely well for them. The which it one? It wasn't just funny, though. Which the one? Budweiser with stuff campaign. Oh, the what's up? Yeah. Yeah, what's up, right? Yeah. <laughs> what's up? And, but what was neat about that is, is when somebody said what's up to somebody else, they'd be like, oh, what's up, what's up? And everybody would do that if they think about Budweiser. Right. And so they took this common occasion of saying hello, and they linked the brand to it. They essentially found a peanut butter that's really prevalent in the environment, and the more people saw that peanut butter, the more they thought about Budweiser's jelly. I mean – it, and it's it's when you talk about it, you kind of go, oh, that makes common sense. That, that makes sense. Um, but even like the Twitter, I remember you were sharing some of the analysis of Twitter about how Cheerios, it, it spikes like the chatter on Twitter spikes every morning, which is when people are kind of talking about like, oh, I had I, I had Cheerios. So that whole concept of connecting it to cues in the environment. I have one more question for you, Jonah. And uh, before I do that, where do you want people to go to get connected with you and sort of learn more information? Oh, thanks. Well, the easiest place to find me is just Jonah. 
Yeah. Well, I will put a link to that in the show notes. All right, Jonah. So if there was if there was one actionable thing that people could do to immediately kind of make their business or product or service more contagious, what what would you suggest? I think it's really focusing on the, the psychology rather than the technology. Uh, it's really easy to get carried away with the newest, hottest tool, and uh, you know, social media is definitely a great way to spread information, but um, it's not always the most effective way to generate word of mouth. And further, you know, having a lot of friends and followers is great, but if they don't share our stuff, it, it's not necessarily going to matter. And so the key is rather than thinking about, well, what technology are we on or what technology am I offering, think about the underlying psychology. Why might someone talk about and share my thing? Or why might they want to use my offering? Focusing more on them uh, rather than, than me or us uh, will help us be more successful. I love it. I love it. Well, JonahBerger.com is the place to go. Uh, Contagious is the book that we've been talking about. His new book's out called Invisible Influence. Uh, you want to check it out. I'm telling you, it's brilliant stuff that is actionable and really, really good. So, uh, Jonah, thank you for all you do, my friend, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Wow. Well, I hope that you got a lot out of that. Like I said in the beginning, and you could tell, you know, throughout the interview, I really, really loved the book. And I, just to give you a quick recap, because I know, you know, it's kind of going fast and, you know, trying to catch the audio and stuff uh, during the interview is just to capture the six um, steps or the six kind of, uh, yeah, that's called steps in his case, S-T-E. PPS. Um, these are sort of the six ways to make things more contagious or, uh, you know, transmittable. And the S stands for social currency. So that's the one about making people smart, uh, making people feel smart by telling them, uh, by them telling other people about you or your service or your offering. Um, the second one is triggers. So those are like the, the environmental cues in, in, uh, that remind people of whatever your product or service is. So we talked through those. And then the third one is emotional. Number four is something that's public. In other words, something where other people can actually see you using it. Number five is practically useful. So people pass along things often that are helpful. And then number six was stories. So if there's a story, uh, inherent to it, people will be much more likely to, of course, pass along a story, which I think is no real surprise there. It's a great it's a great segue to something that we've actually been wanting to talk about on this show for a while, and we've been looking for the right time to sort of interject it, which is how do you monetize ideas? And, you know, what is, what is, how do you capture, you know, we're living in this world of social media and social transmission and, um, you know, just the internet and websites and search engine optimization and, and all of this stuff. And so ideas are spreading and word of mouth it no longer results in a face-to-face -face conversation. Today, word of mouth no longer results in a face-to-face -face conversation where you can control people's first impressions. Word of mouth today results in somebody going to check out your website, basically, or check you out online. And at Southwestern Consulting, you know, we're always working to stay on the cutting edge of what is going on in the world of sales and elevating, uh, you know, increasing revenues and helping 
companies and individuals really drive revenue. And so we have been, you know, looking at this world of online selling a lot over the last few years. And we actually have started coaching. Uh, you know, we do sales coaching and traditionally we do offline sales coaching. And now we have started doing online sales coaching. So certain businesses, a lot of their sales come from online. And so over the last couple of years, we've started making plans to enter that conversation and we are there now and we have some clients going and it's, it's kind of exciting. And so uh, I think it's important because I think in the future you're going to see more and more this this merger of online selling and offline selling. And when I think of offline selling, I think of sort of traditional sales, right? Like that's how I got my background, my start. You know, I knocked on doors, and you know that is as traditional as selling gets, face to face. And then when I went and worked in the corporate world, I was doing uh, IT sales over the phone, right? So it's still human to human interaction, and now. At Southwestern Consulting, we coach clients uh, a lot on both kind of more transactional selling and then also on more like consultative selling, these long-term sales cycle. But the point is that traditional selling is really kind of face-to-face. And in the last few years, especially, there is, we're starting to see an emergence of some of these, some people will call it online marketing. We don't really think about it as online marketing, but we do think of it as online selling. And so to kind of make sure you're, you know, staying in front of the curve and, and helping, you know, put everything into a context for you and help you understand, we wanted to outline, uh, what does online selling sort of look like and how does that fit in with offline selling and um, you know, just so you're kind of in the know about how things are moving. And we don't think offline selling obviously is, is never going to go anywhere. People prefer to do business with a human. In fact, I just read a research report. Um, it was pretty interesting. It was called the North, it's North by Northwestern Mutual. They do it annually. I think it's called their progress and planning report. If you just Google um, that, and the reason why I read it is because it was a study about uh, do people prefer to do financial planning with technology or with a human? And it's very, very strong that people still much prefer a human. And uh, one of the things that was interesting in there that I saw that was sort of unexpected was that they broke out in the study a, a, a look at just millennials. And you would think, oh, well, millennials probably prefer you know technology. And it was actually less among millennials, uh, even, even a smaller percentage. It was two out of 10. Uh, where I think only there were like seven percent overall in terms of people who were very interested in learning about tech or learning about financial advising and kind of doing their financial planning with a technology. Um, most people still very much prefer a um, a person, but then it was like so seven percent were very interested, and then I think it was something like fifty eight percent or something still prefer. Um, a human. So anyways, you know, millennials, I would have thought would have been maybe higher, but it was only like 20% of them. So the point is that there is this online medium happening. And so we want to kind of put it in context. And internally, we do both. And we've been doing both. This isn't something that we're new to. We've been in the world of online selling for five years. Uh, well, six years now. Um, and so uh, you know, kind of putting the pieces together in our head. And so we think of, you know, typically on this show, we talk about like the offline sales cycle and we talk about servant selling and things like that. It was a big core part of our philosophy and what we believe in. And then uh, what we haven't talked much about is the online selling sales cycle. And very similar to offline selling, human to human interaction, if you will, online selling also follows um, a cycle. 
and we wanted to sort of introduce that that to you. The thing that's really interesting about online selling is the first part of it, which is lead generation, as you will see here momentarily, can be split um, and you can do the like the lead generation, it happens very often online, but then you transition that lead to an offline salesperson, which is a lot of what we do, right? I mean, for example, this show, you know, every every episode we talk about, hey, if you're interested in learning about, uh, if you wanna learn about coaching and you would like a free call with one of our coaches, go and, and fill this out. So let me walk you through that. Um, so you kind of, you see how they work and understand them hope, hopefully a little bit side by side. So step number one in online selling is to attract traffic, right? You have to have some sort of a traffic source. And typically there are, uh, there's lots of different traffic sources. Um, one being content marketing, something that's practically useful. That's kind of going back to one of the one of the steps in Jonah's book, which we didn't talk about in the interview, is when you share useful information. That's content marketing, and so we're driving that traffic um, by way of providing free information. The other ways that you attract traffic are SEO, search engine optimization, which is basically like Google, right? If somebody Googles um, you know, I want a sales coach or I want, I need sales management coaching. Then we want to be, you know, the people who come up or sales consulting or whatever. So that's kind of around traffic. And then you can also do advertisements and pay-per-click and some other things. But, but the first step is to attract traffic. Um, it's similar in offline selling, right? Like that the first, uh, the first step is you have to have some, list of leads to call on or some neighborhood to go knock on, you got to have that, you know, you cast your fishing net out there. Now, now the second step is to capture leads, to capture leads. In online selling, the way that this typically happens is we're using something uh, most online marketers refer to as a lead magnet. So we're going to give away something of value to uh, get people to kind of come into our database. And so they're typically going to go to a form, they'll fill something out, and then they come inside to our database. And that's really cool because it can be an automated way, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to capture to capture leads and to, and to grow your database, this list of potential people you can call on, and you give something of value. So you capture leads and now you have someone's contact information. Before that, they're just kind of a stranger visiting your website or maybe listening to your podcast or whatever your online, you know, kind of tools are. And then you capture the lead and now they are a, they're a name in your database. The third step is then nurturing prospects. So, so staying in touch with them and kind of encouraging them and inviting them to move along with you. And this is the part where people really mess up in online selling. Um, because what happens is you'll see like a lot of information marketers or whatever, they'll give you some free thing, which is pretty cool. But then immediately they'll just say, Hey, will you buy, you know, buy this, buy this next thing. That's the equivalent of an of an in offline selling a salesperson just walking up off the street right and going hey you know i'm a realtor you know would you like to buy this house and there's there's no relationship that is developed and that is a huge mistake you know selling online all the principles of selling offline also apply for selling online they just do um and they're just because it's it's not principles of selling as much as they're principles of human communication and and more importantly more specifically it's about trust and developing 
trust. So when you're nurturing your your prospects, these people that are, have come in and they have they have graciously said, you know what, I'm I, they've kind of raised their hand and said, I might be interested in some of these things that you're talking about. So then you have to develop a whole system, a whole follow up system, and it can be automated, which is which is really great. Um, and at this point, you know, this is where the path can can diverge, and you can move to try to make the sale in an online fashion um, with automated kind of tools, uh, emails, videos, PDFs, downloads, stuff like that. Or you can route the lead to uh, one of your human salespeople, which is a, is a large part of what we still do. So we do both. We've got online selling kind of campaigns and then we have our you know standard offline human to human sales, which is what we love and believe in and what we do. Um, so you nurture the prospects and then at some point, you're going to offer them a chance to buy from you. And you're gonna, you're gonna make some offer for them, uh, something that hopefully you know they are interested in because they have kind of done a choose your own adventure path and said, you know what, I'm interested in this, you know, this tool that you offered for free, a lead magnet, uh, as it sometimes is called. It's kind of like a, a, a something of value, right? A free giveaway. No different than you might do some free giveaway or a drawing with business cards or something like that. Um, and then we're going to um, nurture them. They're going to hopefully trust us. They're going to engage with our content. And then at some point, we're going to ask them to buy something. And there's a whole art form to just this, right? It's just like in human face-to-face selling, there is an art form to asking for the sale. And we believe, right, our philosophy, which is very different, I think, from a lot of what you'll hear from sales consultants and sales teachers and sales trainers, right? Our philosophy is that that selling is not talking people into things they don't want. It's bending over backwards to help them decide what is right for them. And that same art form applies, at least philosophically for us in online selling as it does with offline selling. In other words, you don't want to annoy people. You don't want to pressure people. You don't want to you know, push people or bug them until they buy. You want to show them uh, and, and learn from them what are they interested in and then come up hopefully with a solution that actually solves their problem. And to me, I don't think a sale is done until it's the sale isn't done when when the, the there's a verbal agreement. It's not done with the, when the deal's signed. It's not even done when the money is collected. A sale is done when your customer experiences the result they were looking for, right? A sale is not done when the deal is signed. A sale is done when a customer experiences the result that they were looking for. That's part of our philosophy, right? So here we're going to convert the sale in an online fashion, right? It's, there's much more than we have time to kind of get into um, today, but that's step four. So now you convert the sale. Then step five is to over deliver and satisfy. Again, this is similar to offline selling is you want to over deliver. It's one thing to just give people what you promised, right? You better do what you said you're going to do. You better deliver on what you said your product should do or your service should do exactly what you said it was do. But then it has to go even beyond that and you want to over deliver, right? Doing what you said you are going to do is merely the price of admission, right? Doing what you said you're going to do, that's not exceeding expectations. That's the bare minimum. Doing what you said you're going to do is the price of admission. 
over delivering is what we are really after. And that is step five here. So once we have a customer, we want to give them something of value that's even more than they were expecting. Um, then the next step six, and this is a really cool part of online selling. And in our business, we have also merged this with offline selling and online selling is to survey, um, is to survey. It's basically a satisfaction survey. So now someone has met you, they've opted in, you, they've built, you've built trust with them. They have purchased from you. You have over delivered. And, and what is so cool and I think this is going to be the standard for businesses in the future, is that you now do a satisfaction survey and you basically find out, especially if it's an, an automated sale, an online selling, you may not ever, you may not even ever interact with this person. Even they could be one of your biggest customers and you don't have any like quote unquote real relationship with them directly. You have a, you do have a very like a very legitimate relationship with them, but you maybe have never talked to them like in real time. Um, so when you survey them, what happens is one of two things. They're either going to be thrilled, in which case you're going to route them to uh, offer you know, maybe a, additional products and services, or you're going to find out that they're not thrilled, and in that case, you're going to route them to customer service. And this is where for Southwestern Consulting, and I think one of the reasons that we are growing so quickly, right? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot, and we have a whole team that is just working like crazy because they believe in what we do and they believe in servant selling and helping people achieve their goals in life um, and all the stuff that we talk about on this show and on the blogs and everything. But um, when we, what we do is we survey our coaching clients and if the survey score is below a certain uh, place, it gets routed to customer service. So even in an offline sale, at some point, you should survey your customers. But the beauty about having the the uh, what we as we call it the automated revenue machine, uh, the beauty about having a system that is automated that has this online function and capability is not ever meant to replace your Salesforce if you have a Salesforce, um, but you can supplement their activities by one giving them leads on the front end. But two, here in the satisfaction survey, is that if a customer is unhappy, you can catch it right away and you can automatically notify someone on your team to deal with this issue so that you're preventing the negative word of mouth. And Jonah didn't really talk about that in the interview and he doesn't really talk about it in the book, but that is a huge part of all of this in thinking about things that are contagious. Um, the the E in his little uh, philosophy or his steps, the third one, is emotional. When people are emotional, that causes things to spread. Typically, it's much easier for people to get emotional about a negative experience than it is about a positive experience. And I didn't ask them this, but if we had longer, I probably would have, is manage that is really important, right? Because if people are emotional in a negative way, they're going to spread bad things about you. It becomes very, very contagious. Um, and he does use a few examples in his book um, about this. But um, so we want to capture that. So that is step six is sur uh, the satisfaction survey. And then, like I said, there's that one can split into two realms. One, they're happy, in which case you can offer them an additional product or service, or they're unhappy and you need to route that to customer service and, and get it satisfied. And then the last one, the next step is the same as offline selling, is referrals, uh, referrals and repeat business. Referrals and repeat business. That is the last step. So if they are happy, 
um, then we're going to ask them for referrals. And you can do that in an automated fashion. And again, we do that for our salespeople automatically. So if our clients say, I'm loving it, if they score above a certain point, we will go ahead and ask them and we'll, we'll say, hey, is there anybody you would like to introduce us to? And then when those referrals come in, in an automated fashion, we route those to whoever that original salesperson was. And it happens automatically. So all of these parts, this whole online selling, which um, if you're, if you're, if you've never heard this, this is, might be kind of like a, a, you know, a big paradigm shift of this whole other world of generating revenue that's going on. Um, and it, it should be work. It should work together with, you know, your actual sales forces. You know, I've talked about here with several different examples. Um, but you want to, uh, if you understand this and you see how it all fits together, um, this is what we refer to as an automated revenue machine. It's a way to both, you can generate some income streams, you know, sort of like passively. Uh, and that's the dream, right? Everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to build this website and then I'll make money overnight, which is not really whatever. It's not really how it ever happens. Uh, you can generate m money and a lot of money, but it's a tremendous amount of work. And it's, 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 it's way more work than people ever realize. And it's a lot harder than the dream sounds like. But it can be worth it. And certainly for us, it's been worth it to do some automated things to help supplement and support both our customers and our sales team. And you could too, but we refer to it as an automated revenue machine. Um, and so now just kind of, um, you know, unofficially, I mean, it's official, but we, we haven't made a big, a lot of noise about it is we have started coaching um, companies. And I would say they would be small to medium sized businesses on creating their own automated revenue machine. So it's a, it's a separate coaching program that we do from our traditional kind of sales coaching, uh, which is what we love and we're passionate about, and that will always be our core thing. But for like a small business owner, if you're in that world of kind of online selling, and uh, you know you don't deal with your customers sort of face to face as much as you will, or person to person, but it's more of an automated thing. Then we would love to talk to you about that. This whole thing is fascinating, right? It's fascinating to me about the idea of making ideas spread, monetizing those ideas, and using these tools, right? Using, like Jonah said, the psychology of like transmission, social transmission, the, the, the psychology of what makes things contagious and this world that we are living in, um, of, of just automation and, uh, you know, online tools and social media, it's, it's really a trip. I mean, we, things are moving so fast. And then to think that, you know, like the iPhone came out, I don't remember when the iPhone came out, I think it was like 2000. It's been, it's been less than 10 years, which is crazy, right? I mean, Google started, I believe, in like 1997. And how radical, like how radical and, and radically the world has changed. And it is changing faster than ever before. And so I think, you know, kudos to you for tuning into this podcast and staying fresh. I know a lot of you that are listening are already in our uh, Top Producers Edge, which is our regular sales coaching program or our sales leadership uh, program. And so you're tuning in and that it's amazing to me. The people who are always in coaching are the people who are the most successful, right? It's not the people you would think that really need coaching or really struggling. It's always the ones that are hungry and go-getters and either they're already are successful or they are destined to be successful because they're learners, right? And that's like me. I, 
I can't help but be completely infatuated with learning from people like Jonah how to make an idea spread and why do videos go viral and how come Cheerios are, are, are more socially transmittable than Disneyland. That is, to me, absolutely fascinating. So kudos to you for tuning in. I hope you find this as fascinating as I do, uh, particularly you know the interview with Jonah. And if you if this is your first exposure to sort of online selling, then how cool! And we want to be you know a support for you. This is what we love. We love helping businesses grow their revenue, and we love helping salespeople grow revenue by serving their clients. What we call servant selling, right? And and I've shared on the show before. It's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. And, and that is what we want because that's the part that never changes, right? The practices change, um, but the, the principles don't really change. And caring about other people and taking some time to think, you heard Jonah say it about not what who you are and what you do, but how is it going to make other people feel? That is the real magic, and it's more exciting of a time than ever before. So we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.